In episode 71 of MobyCast, John and Chris discuss lessons learned while working with remote and international engineering teams. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Richard, to another episode of MobyCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. So today, I think we're just going to jump right into it because this this episode is less talking about technical details and more about some storytelling. We want to get into some of the transitions that Chris has gone through, moving through his career and, and starting to work with Kelsis, starting to work with remote and overseas teams. And I think that a lot of our listeners, and Rich, you've been looking at some of our analytics more than I have, but I think a lot of our listeners are from overseas and maybe work remotely and and this is the audience we're talking to. So I think we want to talk directly to you today. Is that right, Rich? I actually don't know. I can probably okay. find that out as we go through this, but that is a good question. Okay. So maybe I have been paying more attention to analytics than I let on. I, it's true. Okay. <laughs> Hello, international <laughs> listeners. Thank you for listening. Yeah, so so I have done my career largely working with international teams, and that started in 2001 at a company called StorePerform. We had a U.S.-based team, and it was a really high-performing team. Some of the people at that team are now CTOs at major hedge funds that you would have heard of. They're chief architects at NASDAQ. You know, these people were excellent. One of them is a chief architect at Twitter. I mean, really, really good developers on this one team that that I worked for in 2001. And while I was there, though, the the leadership of that company was Indian. And so that guy, Srikant Vasan, decided that he wanted to have a team in India because that's where he had come from. And he just felt like he wanted to pay back a little bit from where he had come. And I volunteered to go there and hire a team. And this in 2001, that was really early for doing that uh, in Bangalore. When I visited, I didn't see any other people that were sort of on that trip doing the same thing that I was doing, and it was very easy to find people. I went back two years later in 2003, and it was not that way at all. And I haven't been back since, but I would imagine that if I were to go there now, I wouldn't even recognize the place. It would just be, you know, Silicon Valley of India. Anyway, I don't want to make this too long of a story about myself, but the the point I want to make in that is that after I hired the team in India, what we found is that we had two entirely different teams. We had one high-performing team and one very low-performing team. And that's, I'm not blaming the team in India. It's just it, it was just a fact. We had a good one and a bad one. And so since then, I and my career have worked, at, worked with different teams all over the world. I've worked with teams in Nepal, teams in Thailand, teams in South America. And I've finally landed with Kelsis and building a team that, that I've been working with for the last 11 years that I would claim is a high-performing team. They're a very good team. And Chris came into this a couple of years ago with a, a sort of an entire career's worth of working for a high-performing, working with and in and, and managing high-performing teams. And so this was a bit of a, you know, it was a journey for him switching from working inside U.S. teams to working with a, a remote team. And he has been instrumental in in taking the Kelsis team from, you know, mid to mid to high to extremely high-performing. And uh, yeah, Chris, I just want to talk to you about that that experience about switching from working in U.S.-based teams to working with Kelsis. So I guess let me start by asking you a question. What did you expect? What were your expectations coming in? Mm-hmm. I get just the TLDR would be I expected the unexpected. Really, like, I really didn't know what to expect. 
in that this was a new experience two at least two ways right one was completely virtual company which was somewhat new for me i i had barked in completely virtual companies before the my bootstrap startup was a was a virtual company but that was all with folks that i had worked with in person before right so a little bit different um, do and you then, even work for Kelsis, Chris? We are not a completely virtual company. We have an actual office with people that show up every day in Residencia, Argentina, and another it, office in Corrientes, Argentina. It's virtual to me, <laughs> <laughs> from my perspective, right? <laughs> so it's just a matter of what 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 lens you're looking looking for. But but absolutely, yeah, we we actually do have leases and physical office space. And I just bring that up because in my own experience, it, it, I've been to those offices twice now, I think. And it just blows my mind when I go there. It's like, what? This company, you know, that, that I founded 11 years ago has offices? <laughs> okay, I guess we have offices. It's always surprising. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Indeed. So that was one major difference being a, you know, a virtual team. Um, and then the other part being dealing with non-U.S. developers. So I'd had I'd had some experience with that at previous company, just but more just tangentially. Like I said, I'd I'd worked a couple company positions ago. Worked for a a mobile software development company. It was on the the larger side for me. It was probably about um, six seven hundred people when I when I joined. They had, they had recently gone public. They were still a pretty young company, but kind of growing quickly. Engineering team was probably like 20, 30 people big when I joined there at the offices that I was at. But it turns out we actually had like a whole offshore development team in India and actually growing that. And but for me it was a bit of a, a black box. It was always kind of a mystery. Like And that's so are, typical. So often companies just keep the team separated. Oh yeah, there's that dark works team somewhere else that's that's overseas or in Eastern Europe or India or Bangladesh or some other place, China. And the developers in the US don't even know what they do. And that I think that's sort of terrible. Honestly. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was not a it was not a good experience for me, and it didn't give me um, a high degree of confidence in that model. Just because, you know, one, I just I didn't know what they were doing and and mm-hmm. why they were doing it, and then they were working totally different hours, right? So it's like I would come in in the morning and see the result of what had happened <laughs> over the previous night, and mm-hmm. you know, now the build would fail, right? Mm-hmm. And like. It was just you, just major spelling errors and and right. code, right? And it was just like you know what's going on here? Like this is not like are we really you know paying for this? Is that this doesn't seem like a really great a really great deal? So right, and that just just to interrupt you again, like that is that was my initial experience at Store Perform too. Even though I went and created a team, I think that people within the company that were above me, that were sort of you know VPs of engineering or CTOs or whatever, were trying to take care of the feelings of the U.S. developers who sort of didn't want that team to exist and were pretty vocal about it. So they were just sort of like, yeah, John, just you do the India stuff and, and make sure that, you know, it doesn't doesn't really impact the U.S. stuff very much and just keep them separate. And so that was my job. And I could tell that it just wasn't working like it. And that, that's, you know, already a lesson learned. Don't if you're going to do this, creating an us versus them situation with your remote teams is a good way to fail yeah ab- absolutely and I, and I think definitely hitting hitting um a uh, a very real issue there and i think it kind of just goes with some of like the the industry itself is you know especially you know u.s u.s developers there's this kind of like this 
feeling of like we're the best in the world right like we're the mm-hmm. we're the we're the only world class developers out there and that you know we're worth the most money we we have the the best salaries the highest rates and that you know if you go and ha- hire a remote team or an international team or offshore or nearshore or whatever um it costs less and it's not as good right mm-hmm. and so that whole mentality i think is in place and i, and I think kind of like what you were describing there is just kind of like dealing with that right and, mm-hmm. and managing like there's going to be the reluct there's the management's perception or fear that the the u.s based team is gonna there's gonna be morale issues or there's gonna mm-hmm. be just you know just perception issues right with like this work that's being done by these other teams um, and yep. so there's not an integration right it's trying to like build that wall between them so it's almost like don't worry there's nothing going on over here right mm-hmm. um exactly yeah which is not how the business sees it so it's it's, in, it's incorrect yes so that was kind of left a kind of a bad taste in your mouth and then another experience that i specifically recall with you was when we were working together very early on where you were your company was a client of kelsis not directly kelsis was actually subcontracting for a different company that I shall not mention. So you and I were working together and uh, I remember specifically you sent me an email or, or a message or something that said, hey, what's up with this code? And it was some code that a guy that still works with Kelsis named Fede had written. And it was like, you know, a hundred char- you know, characters long on a, on a line of like lots of weird null checking or something. And it was just, it was just kind of ugly to read. And I just remember being like, oh, wow, Chris is reading our code. What's going on with that? Because that was, that was unique for Kelsis. Hmm. Can, you re- can you remember that? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think it, it, it may have even happened, um, you know, uh, a few times. I mean, m- my role there was, I, you know, I, I was the primary interface, you know, with, with you and that team. And I was writing most of the back end, the, the back end services, the, the API, and your team was building the mobile client. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I was on the hook for the quality, you know, making sure that this whole thing worked end to end, right? And so part of that was just, I was doing a lot of testing and using of, of that app. And so getting the new builds of it, looking at it, and of course, we have access to the code base, right? So, I mean, to this day, like, I will still, I may not do code reviews of, of all the code that's coming through, but definitely looking at diffs, even just really quickly, right? And there's, there's... You're like the TSA random signaler of Kelsa. <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of, right? And so, and it's one of those things where it's like, there's certain things that just always kind of like stick out. And so I think that was, in that in that particular case that you're talking about, I think that was actually, a it was a bug that was causing a problem. Uh-huh. And then I went and looked at the diff and I was, I, what I saw was, I was like, oh, come, you know, come on. This is, this is not, this is not good, right? Five years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just remember seeing that and being like, whoa, you know, because A, I knew that you were not an iOS developer, so I really didn't expect you to be looking at the iOS code. And, you know, the other thing was was sort of like, oh, I wasn't even reviewing FedEx code myself. I was just kind of like doing some testing, some black box testing, but I wasn't looking at his code. And it kind of was like this, like... Ah, oh, come on, John. Like you know better. Like you should you should be helping out Fede and the other people on the team and looking at their code and and giving them examples of what to do. And and in my prior experience, I had seen that whenever I would write code, or you know, there's another guy that we worked with a lot named Kevin Barnes. Whenever he would write code, 
all of a sudden the code of the rest of the team would start to look a lot more like mine or like Kevin's. And I was like, okay, so the team is learning by example. And all of a sudden Chris jumps in and he's like a new example. And he sort of shocked me with his quick, you know, mastery of Objective-C, which is pretty opaque language. Like if you don't, if you've never looked at Objective-C and you look at it for the first time, it's kind of hard to tell what a function call even is. And, and so first was his quick mastery of that. And, and second was like, he was really paying attention to our quality. And so I knew that we couldn't just kind of wing it with Nuku and Chris on the team. And and that that one moment led to eventually Chris joining Kelsis. Like if you had not done that, I don't think we would have ever worked together. Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, you know, you never, <laughs> you never know like the, the paths you go down and what will uh, loop back around and whatnot. Right. Right. And yeah. it was like, it was you doing some feedback that ended up, you know, creating this great respect, right? Like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, Chris is really with it. So then, so then you join us and you, as you said already, you, you knew to expect the unexpected. And I think your first experience really working with us was, actually meeting everybody in person can you tell tell me what you're like how how did that impact you what was your takeaway from that yeah i mean timing timing worked out pretty nice right because i i joined in january i had a couple weeks of getting settled on the team and kind of now working on this this virtual team and really interacting day-to-day via video calls with with this team that's down in down in argentina but then about two weeks later three weeks later was we had an off-site in person where we all met down in Uruguay. And so I get to, I got to meet everyone face to face, right? And spend a week down there with folks getting to to know them and their families and and whatnot. So from a timing standpoint, you know, very, very fortuitous. It helped establish those bonds, those relationships, kind of understanding some of the nuances, the cultural differences and whatnot. And it was it was just a great experience for me, for sure. Right. I think one of the things that I recall you telling me, and maybe you were just sort of like being nice to the the new sort of boss or whatever, because we that was sort of the beginning of us working together. But you you said to me something more or less along the lines of, I really haven't had the experience where I like spending time and like being around my fellow colleagues before. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I was t- I was I was totally lying. <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, and, and I, I, I meant it, right? I mean, it's. Um, I think this really goes to some of the like the really great advantages of that I've come to appreciate of working with international teams, and especially, you know, our team in Argentina is just the cultural differences. You know, here in the U.S., I mean, I, I've, I've worked on very, you know, stressful, high performing, high demanding teams where, you know, it's kind of like you're competing against your fellow developers, right? There's very real money on the line, your career's on the line, stock options, bonuses. I mean, you you are stack ranked against each other. So it really kind of creates this culture of like, it's, you know, pitting you against each other. And so it's like, you're in that kind of a really high stress frenzy environment. It's like the last thing in the world I want to do is go hang out with <laughs> these kind of people right at the movies or something like that. Because again, I mean, it, it kind of makes, I mean, you don't want to establish, I mean, it kind of discourages those those emotional connections, right? The the, the empathy, it very much dissuades that. So right. with- but, but really the real players in, in a team like that do create those close bonds and then undercut each other. <laughs> <laughs> the backstabbers, yeah. I mean, which is, you know, so yeah. 
it's so there's all that right yeah yeah and right. uh you know you can play the politics game and whatnot like i'm just i'm not good at that i just i it just feels so wrong um to mm-hmm. to do that hey this is rich please pardon this quick interruption we recently passed an internal milestone of fifty thousand listens and i wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support i was also hoping to encourage you to head over to itunes and leave us a review and or a rating Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So, you know, with, you know, coming up to speed, meeting the the team in Argentina, the thing that just really struck me is like, that is not the kind of culture that they have. I mean, it's very much, it's, it's a we instead of an I type philosophy. It's very much, they, they love just, being with each other and working together and the wins are celebrated as group wins, not as individual wins. They don't see each other as adversaries, right? They, t- they truly see themselves as just a group of people. And, and, to, and, and to, I think and to a huge extent, like friends come first, then work. Mm-hmm. And not to say that they don't work hard, right? Or they're not, they're I mean, very much a high growth mindset. They, you know, love to learn and collaborate. It just, just a different different cultural feel to it so you just mentioned something sorry chris you just mentioned something about celebrating wins as group wins and and literally today i was just talking to fede and i was like you know what this they're doing a direct messaging feature for zoopix which is going to be awesome it's going to be so cool for people in zoopix to be able to just have conversations with each other outside the public view but it's been a bear and i just know that it's kind of been a drag for everyone and so i was like fede when you finish that maybe you should have a celebration for the team and then it just occurred to me i was like oh and maybe you should just include everybody else in the company too and fede was like that would be awesome and and it was like yes of course you have to f- include the whole company because that's just how it works like you can't have the zoopix team celebrating off by themselves like it's a it's a company win right yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to. I, I realize I interrupted you, and I don't remember exactly what the next point you were trying to make. But but we're on this thing of like your first impressions of meeting the team and and the sort of group mentality that they had. And I, I want to rewind to my first impressions of meeting the team because I kind of met the core members of the team all at the same time, just many years before you did. So I just want to tell that story real quick because it was a similar story for me. I had a client. I was an individual contractor living in Uruguay with my wife. I had come from doing business development and product management at startups and and before that development in Denver. And so we were spending a year in Uruguay just for fun. And I got asked by my client, Taz, which no, no longer exists, unfortunately, but they asked me to go over to Argentina to hire a team because there was some sort of, you know what, actually, I'll be very specific. Roshan Cholas, who is still on the team, was the sister-in-law of one of the founders of Taz. And she was moving to Argentina from San Diego to live there. She was going to marry Inti, and they're married to, to this day. And, and Inti was was going to be the sort of seed member of a team in Argentina of technical people and, and of software developers for Taz. And they were going to do Flex, so Adobe Flex. And Kevin was like, John, go to Argentina and hire a team of Flex developers because Roshan was a civil engineer and just really didn't have that skill set to be able to hire a team. So I flew from Montevideo to Resistencia Argentina and Inti had had sort of put a like a position description into this university, this National Technical University in Resistencia and said 
that I was available for doing interviews. And so the very first person I think I interviewed, maybe, maybe not the first person, but I think Fede Tuki, Federico Tuki was the first person I interviewed. And I was just like, wow, cool. This guy is really enthusiastic and he he has the fundamentals needed to be a software developer. Of course he doesn't know Flex and, and like his experience, his work experience was like this awful, awful, terrible Java program that he had been working on for some company or government entity. I mean, it was so bad. It was like, whoa, <laughs> I have not seen a, a software looking this bad, you know, since college maybe. And then Fede, Fede got all, all of his friends to interview too. There's uh, Teresa, H- Teresa Higgins and Raul Herman and Rodrigo Bachara and Jonathan Diaz. So all of those people interviewed Tere. Teresa is no longer with Kelsis because she moved to Ireland and has, has got a really cool job in Ireland working for one of the biggest conferences that in the world. And But everybody else, Johnny and Raul, and Rodrigo are still with us. And and actually, I didn't didn't choose Rodrigo at first. And I could tell, I was just like, whoa, this is really hurting Fede's feelings that I didn't pick Rodrigo. And it was a mistake because Rodrigo is one of our best, best, best people. I just just wasn't seeing his his like dedication and, and passion for software development come through in that interview. So I decided not to go with him. And Fede was like, no, no, Rodrigo's my, you know, the best. You should hire him. And later we did. Anyway, that you just talked about how it was like, well, these, you know, this group really seems to care about each other and really, you know, sort of I, I, I hesitate to say family because there's sort of like a negative connotation, especially in the US, of saying like your team is your family, like that's against the rules in the US. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of the vibe I got, right? Like yeah, that's sort and, of the, and like that that's definitely the vibe that I got mm-hmm. when meeting him in person in Uruguay. I mean, I'm just like little things would just blew me away, like sitting at the dinner table and like someone noticing that someone's glass is not full with, with, you know, and, and refilling the water in their glass. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, I mean, just kind of like watching over each other. Right. And just doing like, I mean, I don't know. It was just, that was just mind blowing to me. Right on. So, so we've sort of established that there's this, you know, different culture in, in Argentina and in, in particular, and maybe even just in the Northern part of Argentina and maybe just with this particular group of people. Right. But but the, I think the the key is that different places have different cultural aspects. But at the end of the day, there's still sort of a need to be a high-performing software development team, and that has specific requirements, right? Like there's certain things you have to do to be a high-performing software development team, sort of despite or because you know your culture is, doesn't really matter to that. Like you still have mm-hmm. to do those things, right? And it, and it definitely wasn't all roses, right? Like right. coming into this. so it's like some of those those initial impressions that I had of like the differences between like US based teams versus, you know, international teams, you know, was 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 true, right? So it's like there were a lot of really great positive as aspects that surprised me. So asset strengths to be leveraged, but then also kind of looking at, you know, the tools, the technologies, the processes that were that were people were using to develop software, it definitely wasn't at the level that I was used to. Mm-hmm. Right. So definitely some some challenges there it's like okay how do we how do we level up and how do we kind of get marry the best of both worlds right like become a high performing team without being a bunch of ego-centered jerks Mm -hmm. um, that are you know in a dog-eat-dog world right right and i want to get this point in too because i think i think this underscores why we're even talking about this it's been my experience and it's our theory i think that 
time spent on a high-performing team is the best indicator of software skill. It's more than what university you went to. It's more than what your GitHub repository has in it. It's more than what Udacity and Udemy courses you've taken. In fact, those maybe even make it worse sometimes. Like the best indicator of whether somebody has a lot of skill in software is how much time they've spent on high-performing teams. Agreed, Chris? I think it's definitely a very good indication, right? Because by nature, high-performing teams, like if someone is underperforming or is just not at the same level, they're going to get weeded out pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So they attrition will happen. So mm-hmm. if you are part of it, of a high-performing team and you stay there, it means that you're you're probably a, a valued contributor mm-hmm. um, and you're performing at that that same level. And if you're, if you're not, right, if it was a hiring mistake or you're just not able to perform at that level or kind of hiding behind other people's work, like people... People smell that. They, they know that. And then it, there's also like the resentment that mm-hmm. that comes into play too, right? So, so yeah, absolutely. If you've, if you've joined a high-performing team and then have actually stayed on that high-performing team for some amount of time, that's a very, very good indication. Right. So, so that's our theory. And then you come in and you see this group of people that loves working together, loves helping each other out. And, and essentially what you want to do is you want to turn them, you want to apply what you've learned that high-performing teams do to this team, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So at this point, we've laid the groundwork and we kind of know where you came from and what your expectations are. And it's just, I think that's been a fun story. Uh, did I, I think what, what we should do is maybe finish off the story if there's any other parts of the story that we should tell and then maybe next week we can talk about okay enough story time how do how do you make a high performing team no i, I mean I, th- I think we've we've kind of like covered the landscape there i mean it's just again you know the typical us based teams and kind of expectations there and kind of culture and like how folks work and kind of like this bias against offshore remote teams as being cheaper and quality not as high kind of don't give not capable of doing the, the the heavier lifting type thing and you know it doesn't it definitely doesn't have to be that way and you know at Kelsis we've been fortunate to have like leverage some of these strengths and assets that come from these remote international teams and then have the mentoring the coaching the growth hacking the the growth mindset to level up right and become a high performing team with and you know how do you do that? And and we're we're still on that journey. We've come a long way, right? Um, right. And so we can get to, into some of the practicalities of that next time. Yeah, I think let's do that. And and in order to finish up story time, though, I think that there's one one other story I want to tell to make one other point about high performing teams. And that's a story about how a group of smart people, a small group of smart people over a short time, can kind of produce just about as well as a high-performing team without doing the right things. And and so I want to tell a story about that because it's not the same. So this is sort of like a, a fake-out high-performing team. I, we worked with a, a team uh, at Intel a few years ago in two, towards the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, to produce a musical experience for uh, the keynote at, at, that Intel was giving at CES, the Consumer Electronics Showcase, so it's the biggest conference in the world. 600,000 attendees across like 20 hotels in Vegas. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so big. And they were giving one of the keynotes. And and, I mean, I don't even know how many keynotes there were, if it was the main one or if there were like 500 keynotes. Like all I knew is it was Intel's keynote and it was like one of the first keynotes of the conference. So it felt important to me. And what I found when, when we joined that team is that 
they were basically a bunch of really smart people that were being driven, driven, driven by by just like kind of an egocentrical leader who was just going to keep adding until it was t- too late to add anymore, right? Like that, that was his mentality. What can I squeeze into this thing? And how how much more can I add to it until it's basically like, okay, showtime. And I was like, what? What is happening here? Like, there's no, uh, I think we used, we did use like Git, but it wasn't even an Intel one. It was like some smart developer that I had worked with previously. It was like, we better use a repository. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and then it was like, we did, we had no communication, but that same developer was like, I just made my own personal Slack. We can talk on that. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And then and then it was like, it was just like, let's add this this lighting feature. Let's add this new configuration. Let's build a monitoring system. And 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 like. We just kept being like, okay, uh, all right, we'll just try to add it, and and like layer and layer and layer and more and more features just getting added, and like and and to the point where, in order to get the thing done, everybody had to stay in Las Vegas, uh, fortunately at the Venetian for 14 days leading up to CES, 14 days straight, and each of those 14 days, I think we worked at least 12 hours. Thank God, Kelsis was charging by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and that was it. Like it was Fede and me in Vegas trying to trying our best to save the world and do heroics to to get the thing done. And in, in the end, you know, it it went off. I'm not going to say it went off without a hitch, but we did the performance and the the keynote was a, was a more or less a success. I think it would have been more successful with a little bit more discipline. But that is a like a surrogate for a high performing team. It, it was a team of smart people that got a lot done in a very short amount of time with heroics. And what we're talking about when we talk about high performing teams is not that. A high performing team is able to sustain high performance, and you you can only do what I just mentioned for a short time. Yeah, and and you're also rolling the dice, right? Like it, you're yeah. not going to be like. Like in that particular case, it kind of worked out well, right? But it could have easily yeah. gone the other way and been a disaster. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll talk more next week. This is, you know, it's going to be sort of similar to some of the things we talked about that make a great software developer, but more specific to remote and independent developers, people that are out there on their own and, and doing this for Kelsis. So looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right. See you next week. Yeah. Talk to you next week, Chris. Thanks. Later. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 71. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.